Hey, Three Crosses, thanks so much for joining us for our fifth installment of our One Kingdom series. And today we've got a special treat for you. My buddy Rob Hall is here to step into our series. Uh, I told you at the beginning, we've been collaborating with a bunch of other churches around the Bay. And Rob's actually the one who got us roped into this series. So before we even jump into the the sermon time today, I wanted Rob to give us a little glimpse. Tell us a little bit about this series and Mm -hmm. what you've seen God doing as folks have been really engaged in this content. Yeah, as everyone knows, we're, we're in a political season with the election coming up in November. And so several pastors all over the Bay Area got together months ago and started dreaming up a series. What would it look like if we looked at what does it mean to be kingdom people and how does that apply to politics? And, and there's some great collaboration from different churches and different ethnicities and different viewpoints. And we worked together on our sermons and the videos. And it was like, Honestly, I learned a lot. And so, man, there are tons and tons of churches that have done this series, that are doing this series, that are going to do the series. Um, really, what you're hearing is a collective kind of Bay Area voice um, as kingdom people. And, it, man, it's just been um, really fun to see how not only Christians are being equipped, but how, how the Word of God is going out and how people are really engaging politics in a meaningful way. So. It's amazing. Well, I'm excited for our church to hear what you've got for us today. And one of the things we love to do as a church for you guys who are part of our church is to expose you to amazing Bible teachers and communicators and godly folks from all over the place. And so you're in for a treat today as we step into the series. You might be thinking you recognize Rob. You probably do. Rob was on our screen a few months ago. He went with Mark, Tyler, and I around the world, him and his son Levi, to visit our church planting partners in Sri Lanka and Thailand. Rob got saved here in Castro Valley over at Redwood Chapel. He'll tell you a little bit about his story, but you've probably seen him around town. And so I'm excited to have you joining Thanks, us brother. today. It's yeah. an honor and a privilege to be here. Thank you. It's going to be great. Three Crosses, man, thank you so much for the honor and privilege it is to share God's word with you. Man, I have been a huge fan of Three Crosses for many, many years. Uh, Danny, or Dr. Strange, is a good friend of mine. I love him and his family. We got to travel with Mark Tyler right before COVID hit to Sri Lanka and Thailand with our oldest boys. It was a trip of a lifetime, seeing what God is doing there. I've been a long friend of, of Larry Vold, and he's been a mentor of mine. And so, uh, man, what a great church. Uh, And it's really a privilege and an honor to be with all of you in your homes or wherever you are watching at. Um, I actually am a local kid. I grew up in Hayward, right right next door to Castro Valley. Went to Hayward High School. Was a lost, broken teenager. My mom was a drug addict. My dad's in prison. So my grandparents helped raise me. And uh, some guys on my football team at Hayward High School invited me to a to an event at actually Redwood Chapel right down the street from here and heard the gospel and 
place my life and my faith and my trust in Jesus as best as I knew at that time. And God transformed me radically over a series of a few years and got discipled there, went off to college and got connected with InterVarsity. And, and actually it was three crosses that launched me and another pastor to plant a church in Sin City in Las Vegas, gosh, close to 20 years ago. And, uh, and that church went well, and I moved and finished seminary and had, met my wife, had some kids, and moved back to the Bay Area in 2007. And now I pastor at a church in San Bruno called New North Church. I'm their lead pastor, and, and it's been a crazy wild season but God has been so good. So thank you, thank you for having me. Hey, let me just start and just pray for us real quick. And wherever you're at, if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes, let's pray together and just ask God to bless this time. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would give us all eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts and minds that are open to what you wanna teach us right now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray, amen. All right. Um, hey, how many of you know what this is? Some of you need this right now. This is an air filter for your home. C3 Crosses, we are a full service church. We wanna just remind you to replace your air filters. No, that's not why I bring this, but you probably should actually after the fires and the smoke. But I bring this today to remind you, gosh, to even remind myself is that we all have filters. We all have ways that we process information, right? Your mind has a filter. How you were raised and where you went to school and the books that you read and the shows that you watch and the blogs and all of that influence how you and I filter and process information. I see this all the time as a pastor, right? Like sometimes what I say is not what you hear. And sometimes what you hear is not what I say. Why? Because we're all filtering information. And guess what? We all do this. So here's what I want us to do. Just for the next 25 minutes, I would love for you to take your filter and just set it aside for 25 minutes, right? You can then pick up your filter after we're done and, and go on with your life, but just for the next 25 minutes, because what I want to do today is look at an incredible passage in the New Testament in a book called Romans in a chapter 13. And I want to just talk about what it means to submit to authority. Now, let me just tell you up front, like I have like no hidden agendas, okay? I, I really don't. Like I'm not trying to give you a subtle message about who to vote for in November, right? I am not secretly saying anything about the social unrest in our nation or about state COVID guidelines, okay? And I'm not doing any of that. This means that I really need you to set aside your CNN and Fox News filters, your Republican and Democratic filters, right? Because here's the deal. What most of us have in common today is that we are followers of Jesus Christ. That means that we actually have a better filter. And that filter is the king and his kingdom. That is our primary filter. And so you need to know that the Bible actually identifies three different institutions that God has established for our good and for human flourishing. Okay, those three institutions are uh, the church, the family, and the government, right? 
And those three institutions all have different and unique roles. And I want to look just for a moment at the government. And so in Romans chapter 13, Paul describes this relationship that we have as citizens of the kingdom of God, and he's going to talk to us about what that relationship has to do with the state or our government. Now, I want you to notice that Romans 13 is actually sandwiched between two passages on love. And friends, that is no mistake. Paul is not giving a lecture on church and state relations. He is not trying to address the hundreds of questions you and I have all about all these different issues. Instead, he's trying to instruct Christians living in Rome and Christians today about our citizenship as kingdom people. And so here's the question I think he's gonna answer for us today. And it's this, as followers of Jesus... How do we live in the kingdom of God while also living right here in the United States? And honestly, he's going to say some surprising things. And if you're taking notes at home, here's my first point. You can write this down. My first point is this. He's going to say that all authority is established by God. All authority is established by God. Man, if you have a Bible, please open it up and turn with me to Romans chapter 13, and let's look at the first verse, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Paul writes, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Okay, let's stop there. Okay, now Paul is making a massive claim. He's saying that all authority is established by God. Now, you need to know that that was radical in his day, just like it's pretty radical in our day. And then he's saying that because authority is established by God, he then tells us to be subject to it. Now, you need to know that subjection or submission means to voluntarily place oneself under someone else. I want you to notice that he does not use the word obey here. No, I think he doesn't use the word obey because he assumes that there will be times where we can't obey. And we're gonna talk about that in a moment too. So I think in Paul's thinking, submission to authority, voluntary submission to authority is actually submission to God. And so whether you like it or not, it seems to me that the great apostle Paul was pro-government. But I want you to remember really the difference between politics and government, right? There is a major difference and it's helpful to remember the difference. See, government is the main body or institution that runs a country. Politics, on the other hand, is really the theory or the practice that helps in running a country. So for Paul... Government was an institution established by God, but it, this does not mean, so hear me, this does not mean that the state is a divine institution with divine authority. No, only God holds that title. But I think it does mean that God works in and through governmental authority, right? I believe that God is fully in control, that he is fully sovereign, that he's over all nations and all rulers. He's even over Satan himself. But God 
being sovereign doesn't mean that he's responsible for the behavior of all leaders and all rulers all the time. No, because he's given us, as you know, free will. And so again, let's just step back and remember the kind of world that that Paul was writing to and the kind of culture that he was writing this letter to. Remember, both Roman and Jewish authorities were extremely unfriendly and gosh, and even hostile to Christians and to the church, right? And there were hardly any Christian authorities in the government. And so just imagine you're a Christian and you're living in the great city of Rome and you're listening to this letter being read in your small um, house church. And basically what you're hearing the apostle Paul say is simply this, hey, yeah, this regime, this system that hates you, God established it. Yes, this Rome that has thrown you into lion's dens, that has burned you alive, that's, they've actually been established by God and you need to submit to them. Like, can you imagine how they felt? Probably some of you feel the same way right now, right? You step back and and you look at what's happening in our government and, and in our world right now, and you're thinking, you're like, oh, hey, Pastor Rob, hey, great, but like, there is no way God can be responsible for any of this. And, and if he is, then he needs help because he has no idea what he's doing, right? But if you look at history, if you look at your life and mine, God actually frequently works through authorities. And oftentimes we have absolutely no idea what he's doing. See, even as Paul wrote these words, remember he was writing these words most likely under house arrest in Rome, chained up like a criminal. He didn't know if he was gonna either be released or killed. And think about this. God allowed Roman authorities to crucify his own son. And yet we know and believe that it was all according to God's plan. And of course, without the death and resurrection of Jesus, we wouldn't have Christianity, right? And so we have our salvation and our hope today because God used a pagan, unbelieving government to accomplish his will. And this is why we call this the upside down kingdom. And so Paul told the church in Rome to submit to the government. But then he issues a warning. And that brings me to my second point. Rebelling against authority brings judgment from God. Rebelling against authority brings judgment from God. Let's keep reading. Uh, Let's look at verse two now in uh, Romans 13. Uh, Paul writes, consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Look with me at verse three now. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. Wow. All right, let's stop right there. So I think Paul is just, you know, stating just a true principle of life. When you fight against authorities God has established, man, you can rest assured you will reap judgment. There will be consequences, right? And even when you're right, man, there's gonna be consequences. 
In fact, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 26. He said, all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And so because all governmental authority comes from God, to resist it is to resist him. But let me be clear, right? Let me just be crystal clear. Rebelling, that word rebelling means a persistent resistance or a resistance in principle. It's not just a one-time act. So listen to me, please. Paul is not saying we can never protest or disagree with our government. He is not saying that. But because we live in a broken and fallen world, God has ordained some form of government, no particular form of government, to bring order to our society, to protect us from evil, to promote God's concern for justice and goodness and compassion and peace. Yeah, man, like we may resent paying taxes, but do we really think people would willingly contribute to the common good if it was optional? No, the truth is we need the government. And so if rebelling against authority brings judgment from God, then it follows that obeying authority brings protection through God. And that's exactly what Paul says next. Obeying authority brings protection through God. Let's keep reading. Now I'm in verse four and I'll read to probably here verse seven. Look with me at Romans 13, verse four. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. Listen to this. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also, this is interesting, as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Verse seven, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Okay, the apostle Paul lays out a lot here. Let me briefly touch on what he's saying here. He says several things. The first thing he's saying is this, that the state was established by God to do good and punish evil, okay? So that means that those in in government and in authority are really supposed to work for what's called the common good of all people. The state is supposed to reward the good and to restrain and even punish evil. But I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say anything about what kind of punishment the state should employ there. So we can argue about that all day. Secondly, Paul says that those with governmental authority, he calls them God's servants. So in Paul's mind, those who serve the state, who work for our government as say lawmakers or civil servants or prosecutors or the police or firefighters or social workers or teachers and even tax collectors are all God's servants, whether they know it or not. But remember, just like you and just like me, they're all broken sinners as well. And so God wants those in authority to do good what God calls good, and to punish evil, what God calls evil. See, a servant is never free to do whatever they they want. See, servants serve their master and do his work. 
They seek to please and honor their master. This is what God wants from those in authority, right? Micah 6.8 says it, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The next thing Paul tells us is this, is that we submit to authority, you know, not just to stay out of trouble, but as a matter of conscience. Did you catch that? See, I think in Paul's thinking to submit to authority, like when we don't, what happens is, is our conscience gets hardened, right? You and I know people like that. They live as if they're above the law, right? Even when Paul was on trial before Governor Felix in the book of Acts, listen to what he said. He says, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Man, that's your goal. That's my goal too, to keep our consciences clear. So on the one hand, we must obey the state because our motivation is to honor God as kingdom people. On the other hand, we can never, ever submit uncritically to whatever the state tells us because of our conscience. See, we can show respect and honor. Watch this, guys even when we completely disagree with a decision or even when we dislike a politician, right? Does that rustle your feathers yet? See, as kingdom people, we are also need to be constantly evaluating the state and its policies. Listen to what the late, great uh, Martin Luther King said about this. I love this quote. He said, the church, that's you, that's me. The church is not a building, right? It's us, the people of God. The church must be reminded that it is not a master or servant of the state, but here it is, but rather the conscience of the state. We need to remember that in this election season. And then finally, Paul concludes this section by talking about taxes. Go ahead, everyone press like or love and just let out that gruntle, ugh, taxes, right? We know all about taxes in California, don't we? But Paul actually makes a case and says, hey, it's the right of the government to levy taxes and it's the obligations of, uh, of us to pay them, right? I mean, you looked at this last week where Pastor Danny talked about how even Jesus paid taxes and so did his disciples and so should we. So in case you're wondering, Christians back then just like today, they didn't like paying taxes either, right? And there's a lot of reasons for that. You guys know, right? Rome used taxes to build pagan temples, to do lots of things that deeply offended God and Christians. But in Paul's thinking, you're not paying taxes because they're fair. You're paying taxes because you're giving to Caesars what is Caesars, right? And I think this means that we are not responsible for what the state does with the money. We're only responsible for submitting to the authority God has established. And so the reason why we pay taxes in the U.S. is not because we agree with everything our state or our federal government does with our money. Man, we pay taxes because the IRS is one of the authorities that God has placed over us. And so sure, man, we may disagree and the left and right may disagree on the size of our government and how much money um, should be taxed and or how much people should be taxed and, and what to do with that tax money. But I think we can all agree, at least I hope we can, that there are some essential services that the state must provide for and to do these things and to pay for these things makes it taxes necessary, right? All right, here's a question. 
that I think many of you are thinking. And if you're not thinking about it, now you will be. Here's the question. Okay, Rob, this is all sounds great. Love this, but here's the question. When do we submit and when do we disobey? Right? Okay, wait a second. Like, when do we submit and is there a time for us to disobey? And so let me explain that. Yeah, like Paul is not saying that we should endorse and obey everything from those of authority, right? Like, like authority is never absolute, only God is. Paul is also not saying that every decree and every law of the government is a divine ordinance either. He's not saying that. I like to say over the years that just because something is legal doesn't make it moral, okay? See, the Bible holds these both in tension, both submission to authority and what's called civil disobedience. We see both in the scriptures. See, I think biblically, we are called to submit right up until the point where submission to the state would mean disobedience to God. Let me say that again so we're clear. I think from my understanding of this passage, we're called to submit to authority right up until the point it would mean disobedience to God. As the great apostle Peter said, and, and, he, and when he was faced in front of the Jewish high council, he said these great lines. He said, we must obey God rather than men, Acts chapter five. So let me explain this, okay? Uh, see, on the one hand, there are some incredible examples in the scriptures of God's people courageously uh, disobeying authority when it required disobedience to God, right? So some classic examples, when Pharaoh told the Hebrew midwives to kill the newborn boys, all of them, they refused to obey. And the story of Moses was born, right? When King Nebuchadnezzar forced everyone to bow down and worship the golden image. Man, if you grew up in church, you know this story, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, not us, we're not gonna bow down. Right, when the Jewish high court banned preaching in the name of Jesus, every single apostle refused to obey. But listen to me, in each case, rebellion against the state was costly. But those men and women chose to obey God and not the state. Now, here's the tension. On the other hand, there are several great examples in the scriptures of people actually obeying God and actually working within and through an oppressive regime. They submitted and even supported civil authorities that disobeyed God, that even punished the good, right? The great story in Genesis of Joseph, right? Who rose to power in Egypt, became Pharaoh's right-hand man, basically the prime minister of Egypt. And God used him to, in essence, save the Jewish race from extinction by famine. An incredible story. Or what about the prophet Jeremiah who counseled Judah to surrender itself to a cruel and pagan Babylonian power. And they were there and under that authority and that regime for 50 years, the Jewish people would remain in captivity in Babylon. But Jeremiah knew it was all part of God's plan to restore his people who were constantly rejecting him. Or what about Jesus himself? Jesus, as he stood trial before Pilate, listen to these words in the gospels. Jesus said, you would have no power 
or no authority over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus laid down his life willingly and went to the cross for your sake and for mine. So what's my point? My point is this. There is a time to obey and a time to disobey. Man, may God give us the wisdom in and through the power of his spirit to know the difference and the courage to act when we need to. All right, again, for those of you taking notes, here's what I call my big idea. Here's my sermon in one tweetable sentence, if you tweet. Here it is. As citizens of God's kingdom or members of God's kingdom, we're called to submit to authority for our good. And, 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 and I say that because as, as you look back over our history as kingdom people, man, you see how God has blessed that. There's a great book called In How Christianity Changed the World. And the author documents actually carefully Christian influence in government. And he gave all kinds of powerful examples in his book. Let me give you some of, the, some of his examples of how God used Christians in government, in politics, to bring about change. Right? It was Christians who worked hard at outlawing infanticide, that is killing babies. It was Christians who worked at, at stopping child abandonment, the gladiatorial games in ancient Rome. It was Christians who ended the practice of human sacrifice among European uh, 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 cultures. It was Christians who banned pedophilia and polygamy and, and prohibited the burning of widows in India. The book talks about the great Christian William Wilberforce, who was the force behind the successful effort to abolish the slave trade in England. The book goes on to talk about even in the U.S., two-thirds of abolitionists, two-thirds were Christian pastors, right? And of course, as I've quoted MLK, right, in the 1960s, Martin Luther King Jr., a Christian pastor, helped lead the civil rights movement against racial segregation, and discrimination. So what we're talking about in this series is very, very important and very timely. And so as citizens of God's kingdom, and our role is to love people, to seek mercy and justice, and to serve people for the common good. And I'll tell you what, and history shows us that when we do that, man, we will make an incredible impact in our world. And so let me leave you with one last question to think about and ponder. As the people look back on our generation, man, what will be written about God's people? Let's pray together. And so Father, we now bow our heads and we bow our hearts and we are in a tremendously difficult political season right now and so much is going on, God. And there's days where I know I'm frustrated and confused and, and even anxious, God. And so I just pray now, God, as, as kingdom people, that you will remind us that you are fully on the throne as King Jesus, that you have given us this beautiful calling to be kingdom people, to work in and through governmental authorities. And so I just pray, God, that you would give all of us the wisdom and the grace to really not only just survive this pandemic and, and the upcoming election, God, but, but, but to really be salt 
and light in a world that is so incredibly desperate right now. Oh, Jesus, would you come now? Would you fill our hearts? Would you fill our souls and our minds again as we seek to worship you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords? In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.